Hi, my name is Michael Sano. I'm Jewish and I love Israel. So if you love Israel, if you love being Jewish, or if you have an unwavering connection to the land of Israel, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? My name is Michael Sano, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast, the only positive podcast about the state of Israel. Um, hey, if this is your first time watching this, um, hit the like button, the subscribe button, and the notification bell. Fingers are a little off. Sorry about that. <laughs> Hit the like button, the subscribe button, and the notification bell. Um, if you want to take this with you, uh, you can find us and download us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Spotify. Okay. Uh, for those of you who aren't watching, I was uh, counting off one, two, and I was a digit behind. But hey, we're we're back on track. So, uh, all right. Hey, welcome to the show. This is going to be a very, very fun interesting episode cool episode might be frustrating um because some parts of the story are a little bit frustrating but basically what this this episode is is it's about the road to zionism and the declarations treaties and mandates that were put into place that um eventually led to uh, the Zionist dream being fulfilled and the state of Israel being established. Um, so one of the things that's really important is I have to, I have to preface a lot of this by, uh, I found something on, um, the state of Israel's archives website and it's, it's really interesting because it frames, um, what self-determination is not just for the jews but for other uh indigenous groups that are there and i know i'm going to catch some flack for that but you know the land was bought uh by the jewish national fund by um from you know arab individuals arab families who would live there for you know some of them for hundreds of years um so what I want to do is I want to put this out there and it's a note in, uh, in the information that they give when they're talking about the, uh, the old treatises and the old dictates, um, from Ottoman era, um, Palestine, we'll call it Palestine. So Palestine referred at the time, uh, to a geographic region that included the historical land of Israel without any clearly defined ethnic or political connotations at the time palestinians referred to both jews and arabs residing in the land so that's really important because you had something you had a couple of things you had uh you had the haifa district which was in the north and that went all over to the galilee um and i think stretched out towards the golan and uh that and the Jerusalem district, which covered not only Jerusalem, but stretched out into what is um, Hebron, uh, uh, Bethlehem, 
and Hebron and and a lot of those places in Judea and Samaria, um, all the way down, all the way down to Beersheba, which was also part of the Jerusalem district. Um, and these were Ottoman districts, uh, governance districts, and basically they were municipal districts within the Ottoman Empire. Um, so what I'm stating is that Palestinians, according to, and, and I'm not trying to get into that whole, you know, balagan that is uh, the argument over who is Palestinian and who is, you know, uh, okay, whatever. Um, what I'm trying to say is that according to Ottoman, the Ottoman Empire, um, Palestinians were both Jews and Arabs. They were individuals who lived within this larger district. So, um, with that in mind, okay, and I, I want to preface that because I'm going to mention Palestine a number of times. I'm going to mention uh, Palestinian maybe a time or two. And I want people to understand that in the historical context, Palestine refers to a very specific thing, and that is Ottoman Palestine. And we'll, that changes later on, and we'll, we'll discuss that, or I'll talk about that. Um, so we have since we're talking about the ottoman empire it's it's a uh wow that i i just uh <laughs> brushed my mustache and it made the microphone go like way up in volume so um sorry about that so when we're talking about when we're talking about pre-state israel and we're talking about the road to zionism and the steps that were taken in order to make sort of make this happen um there are a couple of things we have to we have to discuss and one of them is of course the ottoman empire the ottoman empire um ruled that region <clears throat> literally they were you know they were they were an empire so they ruled that region they were dictators but i i don't know in the in the sense that they dictated and that was the decree that's that's what the rule or the law was it wasn't a parliament it wasn't you know a bunch of people it was you know the head of i think it was the grand the caliph of the uh of the ottoman empire so um i could be wrong if i'm wrong about the title let me know um so basically the ottomans sided with the Axis during World War One, okay, and because of this, um, that put them at odds with uh, with the British and the French and the United States. Now, um, since they went with the Germans in World War One, they of course lost, and as losers um, of the war, World War One. Um, they were, they suffered the consequences essentially. So what's interesting about that is, um, in 1916, there was a, uh, a thing called the Sykes-Picot, uh, agreement. And that was, and let me read this. A 1916 secret treaty, hmm, 
twirl the mustache between the United Kingdom and France with ascent from the Russian Empire and the Kingdom of Italy um, to define their mutual agreed spheres of influence and control in an eventual partition of the Ottoman Empire. So they had already decided that they were going to cut up the Ottoman Empire and that people were going to get it and the French were going to get this and the uh, the the British were going to get this. And they did it with the blessing of the Russians and the Italians. And that is the Sykes-Picot Agreement is something that still riles a bunch of people in the Middle East, um, actually outside the Middle East, to this day that uh, they, they brand it um, evidence of colonialism, but that's, uh, it's interesting because it, they, they, they very clearly say spheres of influence. Um, and that's going to come up later. So the Sykes-Picot Agreement happened in uh, 1916, secret, you know, these guys get by, get together, twirl their mustaches and, and, you know, rub their beards and try to figure out, how are we going to break this up? So, um, that was already, nobody knew about that. So that was already in the, uh, in the cards, um, upon the, uh, the, the, uh, the successful conclusion <laughs> winning of World War One by the Allies. So in 1917, on November 9th, um, Lord, uh, is it Lord or is it Sir? Let me, uh, let me get it right. Um, Arthur James Balfour um, penned the Balfour Declaration. And I have it here. And this is one of the seminal documents in bringing the Jews back to Eretz Israel. And it is one of the seminal Zionist um, documents. It, it, it literally um, gave, gave license to Jews around the world to have hope <laughs> in returning to Eretz Yisrael. Um, so I have the text here and it was um, declared on November 9th, 1917. And it reads, Foreign Office, November 2nd, 1917. Dear Lord Rothschild, that's to um, Baron Walter Rothschild. Um, I He uh, gave a lot of money to uh, moving Jews to Israel, to pre-state Israel, what was at the time Ottoman Palestine. And he wrote, I have much pleasure in conveying to you on behalf of his majesty's government, the following declaration of sympathy with Jewish Zionist aspirations, which has been submitted to and approved by the cabinet. His majesty's government view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object, it being clearly understood that nothing shall be done 
which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. I should be grateful if you would bring this declaration to the knowledge of the Zionist Federation, yours, Arthur James Balfour. So that was it. That was the big boom. That was the mic drop that made um, that made the establishment of the state of Israel an actual real possibility. So you have to understand Herzl had been Theodore Herzl, um, the founder of the World Zionist Congress um, and the author of the Jewish state. Um, he had been pushing and pushing and pushing and he'd been trying actually prior to World War II, World War I, he had been trying to get Germany and the, the, the monarch, the king of Germany to, uh, I think it was the Kaiser. And uh, darn, I was going to look this up um, if that was actually his title. The, uh, the Kaiser to, um, to support them and to support uh, Zionism and moving Jews to Israel with the hope of ensuring that they could, you know, self-determine and make their own country. That, of course, um, didn't pan out, and he wound up uh, moving his efforts towards Britain. And as a result, we got the Balfour Declaration. Now, next in this list, so, sorry, so the Balfour Declaration comes up. Mm. Sorry, I just had a... Uh, a sip of coffee. So <laughs> I know this is a little dry, but a lot of this information is really super important. Peter, that coffee was for you. You're a rock star. A lot of this information is really important because it gives um, background into how it happened. A lot of people think that, you know, uh, the Holocaust happened and that's why there's a Jewish state. And that is the biggest uh, one of the biggest, not lies, but misconceptions. Yeah, we'll say that. It's a very big misconception that uh, because of the Shoah, because of the Holocaust, that Jews were given a state out of sympathy. They weren't. Um, Jews worked hard. Jews lobbied. Jews um, worked their butts off through the political process, Theodore Herzl being one that I spoke about, and uh, Rothschild, of course, being another one. Um and just tons of people were, were, oh my gosh, logging so many miles, going back and forth. They went to, uh, um, they went to Turkey to try to get the, uh, I think it was the Sultan. I, I'm really bad with titles. Can you tell? <laughs> but to get the head of the, uh, the uh, um, Ottoman Empire to authorize the establishment of a, of a Jewish state in their territory, which, of course, they were not too keen on. Um, that was one of the reasons why he went to, Herzl went to um, the head of the German, uh, of Prussia, the Kaiser, to get him to influence the Sultan, but that didn't, that didn't, of course, pan out. Um, we went down a different road. 
which leads to the next big document um because that's what this is about this is what i'm talking about in this episode i'm talking about agreements documents declarations and um and uh resolutions that eventually led to um the establishment and gave credence give credence to as it stands now the jewish state the state of israel so the next one is um the league of nations mandate for palestine british mandate for palestine so this is really interesting so that's where we go back to the sykes Picot agreement so there were there was a family and it is on the tip of my tongue um and it is the family that runs jordan right now but so the sykes Picot said the french are going to take this and the british are going to take this well the french wound up taking syria and lebanon and that was where they had their big influence um turkey was left self-determination it could become its own turkish state um and mandate and that was mandate uh france they had there was a french mandate um but mandate britain wasn't just it was all of palestine and palestine went into what is now present day jordan um and the king uh of jordan that family he had a bunch of brothers and there was going to be a one of his brothers was going to be the king of lebanon and the other one was going to be the king of syria and that didn't work out um the only one that still survived in that family is the current king of um jordan and hashemite kingdom the hashemite kingdom might be the hashemites i don't know um but so the mandate was given um according to article 22 of the covenant and this part's important of the league of nations of june 28 1919 which referred to the creation of mandate territories which were given over to be administered by European powers. All right, so at the end of World War I, um, since they did so much damage and there were they, the, the European powers decided that they were gonna take their land and they were going to, um, they were going to govern it. Now I'm gonna tell you how so though most mandates were given to countries such as britain and france which possess considerable colonial empires that's important the covenant made the clear distinction that a mandate territory was not a colony so these mandates and, and a lot of people don't know about this they talk about british colonialism and they talk about uh jewish colonialism in israel and the mandate specifically said um and french colonialism for taking over lebanon and syria but these weren't the intention of article 22 was not to establish colonies for these european countries but to establish some type of control so that these lands these mandates these geographic areas could eventually become self-determined countries of the people who live there um this is why jews worldwide saw this as an amazing opportunity oh my gosh it's almost as if uh <laughs> and and it's not like they said wait a minute 
there's an empty space in Israel. Let's go ahead and fill it. They went, oh my gosh, Israel is there for us. We can return to Israel because it's being held by the mandate. Um, <coughs> whether you agree with that or not, hey, that's not, it's, I don't want to say it's not relevant, but it, it, it's not, it doesn't do anything to advance what has happened. It's important to learn why it happened. It's important to learn how it happened. And it's, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Um, so I know that sounds cold, but, um, so, all right. So the mandates were established through a resolution in San Remo, um, during the San Remo conference and the objective of the mandates over former territories of Ottoman, uh, of the Ottoman empire was to provide administrative advice and assistance by a mandatory until such time as they were able to stand alone. Um, the border between Palestine and Transjordan was agreed in the final mandate document and the approximate Northern border with the French mandate for Syria and the Lebanon was agreed in the Paulette Newcomb agreement of 23 December, 1920. And the league of nations, um, affirmed this affirmed, they voted on it and affirmed, uh, Jewish self-determination by the league of nations. Um, and in this affirmation, there are, um, articles within it that specifically dictate, and I'll read those. So, and this is why I say, um, this is why I say, I, I understand if you oppose this, I understand if you have a problem with this, I, I would be unsympathetic and unempathetic if you didn't, but, um, powers greater than the individual dictated what would happen. Um, powers of a losing army don't get to dictate the terms of their surrender. Um, the winner basically does. And this was just one aspect. And um, one of the things that the winners had decided is that a longstanding injustice uh, needed to be corrected. And that was done in this League of Nations affirmation. And in Article 2, Article 1 establishes that this is the word of the League of Nations. Article 2 says the mandatory shall be responsible for placing the country under such political, administrative, and economic conditions as will secure the establishment of the Jewish national home. As laid down in the preamble and the development of self-governing institutions, and also for safeguarding the civil and religious rights of all the inhabitants of Palestine, uh, of Palestine, irrespective of race and religion. So Article 2 basically says Jews have a right to self-determination in former Ottoman Palestine, in Mandate Palestine, but that will not infringe upon the civil rights and religious rights of those living there. And that's essentially the way it is right now. Um, I know there are those who would argue against that, but the civil rights of non-Jews in Israel is much better than the civil rights of 
non-Muslims in Saudi Arabia or in Bahrain or in Dubai, so uh, which is the UAE, right? I think, yes. Um, so you got it good. People have it good. I, 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 I'm sorry. That's just, that's the reality of this situation. Now, Article 3, because um, I don't want to, people to think that when I read this, I'm skipping over things that are important. The mandatory shall, so far as circumstances permit, encourage local autonomy. This is good, though, because this points out that self-determination is pretty much what's intended for the mandate. Article 4 of this declaration says an appropriate Jewish agency shall be recognized as a public body for the purpose of advising and cooperating with the administration of Palestine in such economic, social, and other matters as may affect the establishment of the Jewish national home. In the interests of the Jewish population in Palestine and subject always to the control of the administration to assist and take part in the development of the country. The Zionist organization, so long as its organization and constitution are in the opinion of the mandatory appropriate, shall be recognized as such agency. It shall take steps in consultation with the British, British Majesty's government to secure the cooperation of all Jews who are willing to assist in the establishment of the Jewish national home. So um, the 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 World Zionist Congress was basically put in charge of developing groups, organizations, and governmental institutions to eventually um, introduce into uh, uh, mandatory Palestine a Jewish national home, a Jewish state. So that's phenomenal. Um, what of now? That's all good in theory, and that's all good on paper. Um, the reality is it was a bumpy road. It was an incredibly bumpy road. Um, and that bumpy road were riots that took place, um, in the thirties in 1929. Um, there were massive riots, um, earlier than that. I think in 1920, there were, there were riots as well. Um, and, all of this caused something called the uh, the Peel Commission, and that was a British Royal Commission of Inquiry headed by Lord Peel, appointed in 1936 to investigate the causes of unrest in Mandatory Palestine following the six-month-long Arab general strike in Mandatory Palestine. On 7 July 1937, the commission published a report that for the first time stated that the League of Nations mandate had become unworkable and recommended partition. So basically, what they wanted to do is, because nobody could get along, or because the British... See, here's the problem. Here's the big problem. Britain, throughout this entire time, um, played favorites back and forth and almost fomented discontent and discord between Arabs and Jews um, and gave voice to this uh, man. I think his name is Al-Husseini, who is the, uh, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem 
and who was a real problem during this time and eventually wound up joining the Nazi party and being um, exiled from uh, Ottoman or mandatory Palestine and wound up in Berlin and then eventually in Romania. And the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem uh, helped um, initiate the Romanian portion of the Holocaust. So you got this guy and different groups within Britain creating all of these problems. The Peel Commission comes out and then says, we want a partition. And that's when you think things are at its worst because nobody likes the idea of partition. Um, nobody at all. Although Ben-Gurion and Golda Meir were under the impression that they could use this to their advantage in order to take over pretty much the entire mandatory Palestine. I don't know exactly what the details are on that. I want to look deeper into it, but it did get worse. It got worse with the um, release of the white paper in 1939, and that was a policy paper issued by the British government led by Neville Chamberlain, who was a, his father was a virulent anti-Semite. Um, so it's not too much of a stretch to think that he might have been one as well. In response to the 1936-39 Arab revolt in Palestine. Um, bloody. Uh, rapes, murders, all pogroms, basically. Um the paper called for the, and the British pretty much stepped back. Um, the paper called for the establishment of a Jewish national home in an independent Palestinian state um, within 10 years, rejecting the Peel Commission's idea of partitioning Palestine. It also limited Jewish immigration to 75,000 people for five years and ruled that further immigration would then be determined by the Arab majority um, and Jews were restricted from buying Arab land in all but 5% of the mandate. So basically Jewish immigration was halted. So the, uh, the white paper came out and, and Jewish immigration was halted. This of course led to um, Lehi and uh, Avraham Stern deciding that he couldn't stomach this um, and the Stern gang and retaliations against the Arab communities, some really bad atrocities, um, but they were pushed. They were pushed to their limit where they sought violence. The, these people saw violence as the only way, um, the only way they were told that they could have a state. And then they were told that, you know, basically that they couldn't, well, not that they couldn't have a state, but that they could have a state, but the dictates would be, um, in uh, the dictates would be given by their Arab neighbors, Arab neighbors who had consistently for the previous, uh, six years, you know, engaged in pogroms against them that led to retaliatory attacks and it just became Balagan, a mess until independence in 1948 and wow that is the story 
Um, the convoluted story. <laughs> That's the convoluted story of how basically all of these mandates, declarations, and um, commissions and reports led to the eventual, uh, the eventual establishment of the state of Israel. I know it was kind of a, so this was a difficult one because there was so much information and I know some of it's dry, but it's really fascinating. And I actually think what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to break these down even more and do episodes on what the Peel uh, Commission was and what the white paper was and, and this and that. And if you want to hear about that, let me know. Um, all right. All right. All right. That's it. <laughs> All right. That's it for this episode. Um, thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Um, if you like this, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell. Um, if you want to take us with you, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can download it at any one of those places and take it with you. Um, we have our... 12 cities in israel flashcards coming out soon i'm finishing up the editing it is a really fun video it's really kind of neat uh it's it's a little salesy but i'm trying to get investors um if you would like to be an investor in our 12 cities in israel flashcard set i'm releasing the video on kickstarter and starting a kickstarter campaign and you can be a part of that we really love it it would really help us we want to teach people hebrew we think the quickest way to embrace the culture of Israel is through the modern Hebrew language. Help us teach people modern Hebrew and become an investor in the 12 cities in Israel flashcard system. Um, all right, that's it, guys. Thanks a lot. Um, Shatila Perah Anishar